1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. And we're, we're going to dwell on this passage just briefly and then jump over here and there uh, to talk about the subject tonight. So please uh, buckle up. We'll go through a lot of passages tonight. But I won't be long, like Pastor said this morning. Uh, let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you so much for your love to us. Thank you so much for the message of the gospel. Thank you so much for the lordship of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he rules. He will rule, and he is ruling, and he has been ruling as well. So we are so thankful for uh, your son, so precious, so, so, so precious and sweet to us. So we pray, Lord, that you please help us to open our, uh, please open our eyes tonight to see the deeper things in this, this treasure, the gospel, in our earthen vessel, so that we may truly treasure it, and we may live it, and we may proclaim it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what is the gospel? And you can see it in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. For I delivered to you first of all that which, here that which is the gospel, I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. The simply put, the gospel is this. According to the Old Testament, Christ, the Messiah, died for our sins and was buried and risen again. But I find a little problem among Christians about this message. What I mean by a problem is this. Many Christians primarily understand and communicate the gospel in a purely human-centered way. What I, what I mean by is this, is this. Many people put an emphasis on this gospel message like this. According to the Old Testament, Christ died for our sins and was buried and rose again. So primarily, many people talk about the remission of sins or forgiveness of sins. And because they are forgiven of their sins, they can go to heaven. Am I here to say that they are not they are wrong to say that? No, of course not. I want to clarify. I do believe these truths, and you must say these things when you share the gospel. But before we go further, you know, just one thing, you know, for our sins here doesn't just mean that we will be forgiven of our sins. It also means we will reject a sinful lifestyle and pursue righteousness and holiness. And that's very important to emphasize, actually, when we share the gospel. But anyway. The center of the gospel message is not human. That's what I want to emphasize tonight. But rather, the center of the gospel is Christ. So I, I want to read this message again. What's the gospel again? According to the Old Testament, Christ died for our sins and was buried and rose again. It is the Christ who died for our sins and rose again. But... This statement about this, the gospel message is somewhat incomplete because it doesn't explain why Jesus was resurrected. Why did he die? The statement says, for our sins. As I explained, to forgive our sins and also to, for us to reject the sinful lifestyle and pursue holiness. Then why did he then rise from the dead? We find the purpose of his resurrection in the immediate context of 1 Corinthians 15. So let's go to verses 20 through 25. 1 Corinthians 15, 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead 
So now he's talk, talking again about the resurrection and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by men came death, by men also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. So first purpose of Christ's resurrection is what? Our bodily resurrection in the future when Christ comes back. 23. But each one in his own order, Christ the first first, afterward those who are in Christ at his coming, right? It's going to happen at his return. And then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. So again, it's about the coming of Christ, right? And verse 25, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. You see here? You know, the end is this. Christ will come back. He will be exalted, just like we sang the songs this, this night. And thank you, Pastor, for the selection. I love them. It's all about Christ's kingship, especially focusing on his coming back. But I wanna, what I want to uh, focus on tonight is not necessarily what is going to happen in the future when he comes back. But again, verse 25. Until he has put all enemies under his feet, what does Christ do? For he must be reigning Today. So in this context, Paul clearly looks forward to the day when Christ returns to judge and destroy all God's enemies. Yet something else must be happening in between. Between Christ's resurrection and his return, Christ still must reign. What does it mean? It means that Christ is the Lord over all right now and actively rules over the whole world at the right hand of God. So what is the purpose of Christ's resurrection? He rose from the dead to be the rightful ruler of the universe today and for eternity. Thus, we should express the gospel message in the following way. According to the Old Testament, Christ died for our sins and was buried and rose again to rule the world as the king. I think we need to keep that in mind as we understand the gospel and also communicate the gospel. So our understanding of the gospel message must start with Jesus' sovereignty over the universe. The reason we can unashamedly proclaim the gospel message is that anyone who believes and obeys this king who died for them will receive the forgiveness of sins and eternal life, and that anyone who rejects this, re rejects this resurrected king who rules over the world will suffer eternal punishment. Do you get what I'm trying to say? So the, the center of the gospel is not sinners, although it is true that we get forgiveness of sins when you believe it, but the center of the gospel message is Christ who rules. So Jesus' kingship is very, very important. Um, so here is um, my thesis tonight. The center of the gospel message is the rulership of King Jesus. The center of the gospel message is the rulership of King Jesus. And I'm certainly, I'm very certain that all of you, virtually all of you agree with what I just said, that you all believe Jesus is King, right? If you don't believe that, I'm sorry, you're not a Christian. But some of you might be wondering still, hey, Pastor Joe, do I still communicate the kingship of Christ when I share the gospel? Because it's, it may be a little new to some of you, 
But what, I'm, what I want to try to show you tonight is that you must do that. You can use the term Lord or ruler or king, but what I'm trying to say is that you have to emphasize the sovereignty or rulership of Christ when you share the gospel. So to support my thesis tonight, I'm going to show you two pieces of evidence. First, the first evidence is this, the way Paul uses the Old Testament. Didn't, just, didn't Paul just say that, say that uh, according to the scripture, according to the Old Testament, Christ died for sins and was buried and rose again? So we have to understand the way Paul uses the, or he, the way he understands these messianic passages concerning the coming Messiah in his days. And the second evidence will be this, how the apostles in the book of Acts proclaim the gospel when they share, you know, when they testify to the people about Jesus Christ. Uh, what, what's important here is this, you know, Paul is a supreme example of following Christ the king as the slave of him. And the way he shared the gospel was always uh, mixed with this idea that Christ is the Lord or Christ is the king. So let's go to Romans 10 here to see how Paul uses the Old Testament when he communicated the gospel message. Uh, so the first, you know, chapter 10, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Here you find a very famous passage, you know, because, you know, we use this passage all the time when we share the gospel. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So from this passage, I, what I want to show you is this. Jesus is Yahweh, or Jehovah, of the Old Testament, who rules over the universe. Where do you find a hint about what I just said? Jesus is Yahweh of the Old Testament, who rules over the world. Verse 9, you find that the, 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 the title of Jesus is what? The Lord. In this passage, Paul teaches that we must believe with our heart that Jesus died and rose again, and we must confess with our mouth that Jesus is the Lord. And what, what was the result of that belief and confession? We received God's righteousness and salvation. And there's verse 10. To support this teaching, Paul cites a number, number of Old Testament passages in the following verses. And among them, there are a lot, and we won't be able to go through them all with the uh, you know, limited time we have. But I just want to focus on two citations that Paul uses to support the idea that Christ is the, the, the God of the Old Testament. In, in verse 12, you see, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. So here is, is not the, the Old Testament pas passage yet, but here you find that what Paul meant by Lord Jesus. Paul didn't use the term Lord as an honorific title. You know, they are sir or lord someone, you know, as one of the many noble people. But G Paul didn't mean it that way when he used the word lord. How do we know? Because he said, he's the same lord, he's referring to Jesus here, over all. Which means, he, when he talks about Jesus being the lord, he's talking about the supreme lord, supreme owner, supreme controller of everything. 
What Paul meant by Lord Jesus is that Jesus is the Lord who rules over everyone on earth, whether they are Jews or Gentiles. Jesus is not merely a king over a region or a nation. He's the king over all nations and individuals. How could Jesus be the king of the entire universe? The next verse shows the reason Jesus could be the ruler of the universe. So here's the first passage, Old Testament passage Paul uses. Verse 13, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This passage is from Joel 3, I'm sorry, Joel 2, 32. So, so let's go to Joel 2, 32. Joel is after Hosea, and Hosea is the first book of the 12 minor prophets. So that way you might be able to find it. Joel 2, 32. And as you see the verse, the, the prophet Joel says, And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord, you see the capital L-O-R-D, that's very significant, shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. So what does Joel here means when he says the Lord? If you look up the Hebrew text, what you will find is the term Yahweh or Jehovah. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Paul just quoted this passage. He said Jesus is the Lord over all. In next verse he said, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, which is from Joel 2. And in the context of Joel 2, what Joel meant by the Lord, the capital L-O-R-D, is the God of the Old Testament. So what we can get from here is that Jesus Christ is not just the Lord over Israel or Christians, but the, the God of Israel, Yahweh, who's created and rules over the entire universe. That's the only way you can understand the way Paul cites Joel 2.32. In the Hebrew context, as I said, it is Yahweh. There's, there's no other way that then you say, yes, Paul is now here identifying Jesus with the Yahweh, the God of Israel, who created everything, and also who is the God of all nations. So let's come back to Romans 10. And in the next few verses in Romans 10, Paul explains what it means to call on the name of the Lord. So he said, whoever call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. What did he mean by calling on the name of Jesus, the Lord Yahweh? How then, verse 14, shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? So this calling is based on what? Believing. And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? So this believing is based on what? Hearing. And how shall they hear without a preacher? So this hearing is based on preaching. And verse 15, how shall they preach unless they are sent? Preaching is based on God's sending of his preachers. And then Paul cites another Old Testament passage that has a enormous significance in terms of our thesis tonight. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring good, glad tidings of good things. So let's go to Isaiah 52. So please hold it here. Maybe not. We might not come back here, but we'll see. <laughs> Isaiah 52, 7. Isaiah 52, maybe we're not coming back. So Isaiah 52, 7. Here, Paul, Paul, you know, Romans 10, he said, he's talking about the gospel, right? Gospel of peace, glad tidings of good 
things, and he cites Isaiah 52, 7, in whose immediate context reveals the core content of the gospel in the Old Testament. And let's see, verse uh, Isaiah 52, verse 4, For thus says the Lord, again, Yahweh, the, the cap, full capital letter, L-O-R-D, Lord Yahweh God, my people went down at first into Egypt to dwell there. Then the Assyrian oppressed them without cause. Now, therefore, what I have here, says the Lord, that my people are taken away for nothing. Those who rule over them make them wail, says the Lord. And my name is blasphemed continually every day. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, they shall know in that day that I am he who speaks. Behold, it is I. How beautiful here. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of whom of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, here is the core content of the Old Testament gospel. Your God reigns. The rulership of Yahweh over all nations. In the Old Testament, to proclaim the gospel of salvation, the prophets had to proclaim the fact that their God still reigned, despite the fact that they were oppressed by all the foreign nations. This was the gospel of the Old Testament. The rulership of Israel's God over all nations was the core content of the Old Testament gospel. And that's what Paul cites here to talk about the gospel that was accomplished by the Lord Jesus Christ. Has the content of the gospel changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament? I don't think so. While we know more clearly about the gospel now as New Testament believers, the core content of the gospel has never changed. Just like the Old Testament preachers preached the rulership of Yahweh when they proclaimed the gospel, we proclaim the rulership of Jesus when we proclaim the gospel. Do you see what I'm, what I'm trying to get at? Of course, as we just learned from Paul's use of Joel 3 at 2.32, Jesus himself is Yahweh, right? So in the Old Testament, what they preached was this. Your God, Yahweh, reigns despite all the situations you are in. In the New Testament, same thing. The God of his Old Testament became flesh, came in flesh, and died for your sins, and he rose again to do what? To reign the entire universe. So what we can conclude from Paul's use of the Old Testament here is the core content of the gospel is that Jesus is Yahweh who rules over the entire universe. Therefore, anyone who wants to experience God's salvation must believe and confess Jesus as the Lord of the universe and also the Lord of their lives. And that's why Christ died and rose again. I'm sorry, we are, we're coming back to Romans 14, not 10. That's why I was confused. <laughs> Romans 14, 9. If you look at Romans 14, 9, Paul reveals the reason Christ died and rose again. To this end, for, to this end Christ died and rose and lived again. That he might be Lord of both the dead and the living, including believers and unbelievers. So what we should do, what we should do about the truth that Jesus died and rose, rose again and lived is this, to be the Lord 
I'm sorry, maybe I've messed up, messed up a little bit. <laughs> but what we have to remember here is, uh, what should we do about the truth that Christ Jesus died and rose and lived again to be the Lord of both the dead and the living? So that's a proper question that I was wanted to ask. We first must examine our understanding of the gospel. When we say we believe and confess the Lord Jesus, we must mean that Jesus is the absolute sovereign of the world and he rightfully owns all the rights over our lives. Let me repeat it again. When we say we believe the Lord Jesus, we mean this. He rightfully has all the rights over our lives. So I have none of my rights, but he does. Too often, however, too many, so many Christians so easily and flippantly say that they believe in the Lord Jesus and live as if they have all the rights to their lives. So what is the problem? I believe the problem is that they do not fully understand why Jesus died and rose again. This is about the gospel issue. Now I want to submit to you the second piece of evidence that supports my thesis that the center of the gospel message is the ruler of King Jesus. So Jesus' rulership was the core content of the apostolic preaching of the gospel. Let's go to Acts. I'm going to give you two persons' examples, two from each person. So first, let's look at Peter's examples, and I'm going to give you Paul's examples as well. So in Acts 2, as you go there, what you are going to find here in Acts 2 is that after the Pentecost event, you remember what happened on the day of Pentecost? The Holy Spirit came upon the 120 disciples, and they were baptized with the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit. They were speaking in tongues. And then everybody was confused. What's going on? And Peter stood up and proclaimed the gospel to the Jewish people. And there are four things you find in the long passage. Acts 2, verses 22 through 38. And we're not going to read them all. But what you find first is Christ's crucifixion. Acts 2, 22. Men of Israel hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know him, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have what? Crucified and put to death. What Peter here is saying is this. Although you killed him, it wasn't an accident. Why? Because this gospel was hidden in the Old Testament. It happened according to God's will, yet it's your fault that you crucified your Messiah. So he's talking about his death, right? The first fact of the gospel message. And secondly, he, talk about, he talks about resurrection. Verse 24, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. And then Peter talks about the purpose. He, speak, he starts speaking of the purpose of Jesus' resurrection, his exaltation and rulership. Verse 30, therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to do what? To sit on his throne, sitting at the right hand of God. In verse 36, therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly, assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both 
Lord and Christ, Messiah. Then lastly, Peter suggests the way the Jews can get saved. Verse 38, then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But what I'm trying to say is this, you know, when we share the gospel, please, please don't rush it too fast. What I'm saying is, hey, 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 everybody, listen, your sins can be forgiven. Would you like to listen? Hey, you can go to heaven. Would you like to listen? Of course, those are true. What Peter is doing is this. He firmly establishes the lordship of Jesus Christ, who is the both Lord and Savior and Christ. And then after people hear that message, now he begins to talk about the remission of sins and receiving the Holy Spirit. That's what I'm trying to say tonight. So I'm not talking about the matter of difference, but I'm talking about the matter of emphasis. So when we, when, we try to, when we try to share the gospel, or when we try to understand the gospel, the emphasis is not necessarily the human's benefits, although those are all true. But the gospel's true content, uh, the, the focus, the emphasis is Christ is the one who rules so that you have to believe and obey him. And then you receive the remission of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. So when we understand this truth in a correct way with the right emphasis, we will be able to live our lives accordingly, right? He's the Lord. I don't believe in just because I want to go to heaven, but I believe in because he deserved my faith. He deserved my, my loyalty. He, 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 owes my, he, he owes my allegiance. I mean, he's the, he's the one who rules everything, so why don't I serve him? He's so so. So natural, right? But if you just believe in because you want to go to heaven, that's not necessarily what the Bible says. That's not the emphasis that the Bible lays when it talks about the gospel. And let's go to Acts 10. It is, it, this is very important because, you know, in Acts 2, Peter is speaking to the Jewish people, right? But Acts 10, he's speaking to who? Gentiles. He's now preaching to the Gentiles at Cornelius's house. And I'm not going to read the older verses, but in verse 39 of Acts 10, you find the crucifixion. So Peter starts with the crucifixion when he talks about the gospel. And second, in verses 40 and 41, he talks about resurrection. And then in and, and verses 36 and 37, Peter begins to talk about the purpose of Jesus' resurrection. Acts 10.36, the word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, is what? He's Lord of all. That word, you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea. You see, when they preached, these apostles and the associates of the apostles, when they were preaching the gospel throughout Judea, what they preached was Christ is the Lord of all. And he resurrected, he was resurrected to rule in verse 43. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. Why is he judge? Because he's the Lord. He owns everything and he still has the right to judge every single person on earth. And then finally, Paul, uh, sorry, Peter preaches on the way the Gentiles can get saved. Verse 43, or maybe I was, I'm confused. Uh, uh, let's see. Is it 43? To him 
all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Right? You see. You know, again, the same order. Crucifixion, resurrection, the purpose of resurrection. What is the purpose of resurrection? To rule. Jesus was risen to rule so that now he's the Lord of all. He's a judge of all. So now you, it's your decision. Would you like to follow him? Would you like to submit to him? If not, you'll be judged. You'll be damned forever. So that's what Peter is saying. Significantly, the content and pattern of Peter's preachings to both Jews and Gentiles are exactly the same. That's the reason why you should never buy the idea that there's two Gospels, one Gospel for the Jews and the other Gospel for the Gentiles. And there are many people in the churches like ours who believe in that. But if you examine the way Peter preached the Gospel to the Jews and the Gentiles, they are exactly the same. It's what matters is the lordship of Christ, the rulership of Christ, because his rules we must submit to him. Then we'll receive the benefits of salvation. If not, we will be punished forever. And Peter's sermons in Acts chapters 2 and 10 are also significant because they set the tone for the content and pattern of the apostolic preaching of the gospel in the rest of the book of Acts. And let me give you another example from Paul. So Paul's preaching also follows Peter's pattern. Let's go to Acts 13. And there you find Peter, uh, sorry, sorry, Paul preaching at the synagogue of Antioch of Pisidia, which was in South Central Asia Minor. So it's not the Antioch, you know, the, the, which was at the north of Israel, but it was in uh, Asia Minor. So after briefly going through the history of Israel up to David in verses 16 through 22, Paul introduces Jesus as David's seed and the Savior for Israel according to God's promise. That's verse 23. From this man's seed, according to, here this man is David, David's seed according to the promise God raised up for Israel, a Savior, Jesus. Then Peter, uh, I'm sorry, I'm so confused between Peter and Paul tonight. But Paul begins to preach the gospel of salvation. Verse 26. Men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to you, the word of this salvation has been sent. Basically, Paul is saying this is the gospel. Listen, it now talks about crucifixion in verse 27. For those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know him, nor even the voices of the prophet, which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause for death in him, they asked Pilate that he should be put to death, right? Jesus' Messiah's crucifixion. Now when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. So his burial. And then now Paul talks about resurrection. Verse 30, But God raised him from the dead. He was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Gentiles to, uh, from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses to the people. And we declare to you glad tidings, that promise which was made to the fathers. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he has raised up Jesus. And then now, Paul begins to talk about the significance of the Messiah's resurrection. And verse 33b here, as it is written, also written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. 
Here it's from Psalm 2. And here this is very, very important. Why? Because Paul is identifies, identifies Jesus with the Son in Psalm 2. What is the Son of God in Psalm 2? The Son in Psalm 2 is the most powerful king of the entire world. And he will rule all nations with the rod of iron and deserves to be feared and served by all rulers of the earth. So what Paul, when Paul preached the gospel to these Jewish people, what he did was this. Hey, Jesus is the Messiah who was in Psalm 2, who will rule over all nations. And even in Psalm 2, the psalmist is very clear. If you don't kiss the son, you are damned. But if you kiss him, you'll be benefited from, you're benefiting from his rulership. It's exactly the same gospel content throughout, you know, from the Old Testament into the New Testament. In Acts 13, again, in the next verse, Paul speaks of the purpose of Jesus' resurrection. The purpose of Jesus' resurrection here is that Jesus is the promised Davidic king. It's Acts 13, 34, and that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken thus, I will give you the sure mercies of David. I think we have to go to Isaiah 55 because it's the passage we are memorizing this year. So this is from Isaiah 55. And according to Isaiah, this Davidic king will fulfill the eternal new covenant and rule over all nations. This verses 3 and 4. Incline your ear and come to me here and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you here. You is the Messiah, the sure mercies of David. Here, Paul did what? He identifies Jesus with this person who received the sure mercies of David. What Paul meant was Jesus is the Davidic king, the promised Messiah who is also the Davidic king. Verse 4, indeed I have given him as a witness to the peoples. Here you can translate the word peoples here, nations. A leader and commander for the peoples or nations. So who's the Messiah? He's the Davidic king who is the leader and commander of all nations. That's the content, core content of Paul's preaching of the gospel. Just like Peter, after clearly stating the three gospel facts, what are the three gospel facts? His death, resurrection, and his universal rulership, Paul preaches how the audience could be saved. And this verse is, let's come back to uh, Acts 13. Acts 13, verses 8, 38 through, and 39. Therefore, let it be known to you, brothers, that through this man, Jesus, is preached to you the forgiveness of sins, and by him everyone believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. You see the same pattern? The way he opens up his gospel witness is not this, hey, if you listen to me, you will go to heaven. Or, hey, if you listen to me, you'll be forgiven your sins. I'm not saying that there's a, they're wrong. But it's not the emphasis where the Bible lays when it talks about the gospel. But rather the emphasis is what? The Messiah's death and his resurrection and his rulership. So that because he rules now, listen guys, you must obey him. You must submit to him. In other words, you need to believe him as your Messiah and your Lord. If not, your end will be destruction. 
Does it make sense? That's what Paul is doing. And I'm going to give you the last, the, the fourth and last example from Acts 17. Here, Paul preaches at the synagogue of Thessalonica. And here, Luke doesn't give us a detailed, you know, message, the content of the message that Paul preached. Yet, it's it's uh, enough. There's enough information that we can know that Paul actually preached on the rulership of Christ when he talked about the gospel. 17:2. Then Paul, as his custom was went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead. Here, death and resurrection, right? And saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. In other words, he is, Jesus is the Messiah. So, we now find that he is saying three gospel facts. First, Jesus' death. Second is his resurrection. And third, his messiahship. So here, Paul doesn't really talk about his kingship, right? Or his rulership or lordship. So you might think that, you know, we don't really have to talk about his rulership then because Paul didn't. But what I can tell you is this. When Paul said from the Old Testament that Jesus is the messiah, he meant Jesus is the king of the old universe. How do I know? Let's keep moving to the next, the rest of the passage. So 17.5, Acts 17.5, But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace, and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brothers to the rulers of the city, crying out, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason has harbored them. And these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar. How did they do the contrary things against Caesar? Saying, there is another king, Jesus. This piece of information is incredibly crucial, crucial to our understanding of the gospel message. When Paul argued from the Old Testament that Jesus was the promised Messiah, the Jewish people who knew the Old Testament understood it this way. This Messiah is the king over Caesar. Why? Because the promised Messiah in the Old Testament is from Psalm 2. Just like we learned, he's the king. Right? And Psalm 110. It's a messianic, the kingly priest Messiah. You know, today I have begotten you. Here, the God the Father is speaking to, to God the Son concerning his resurrection. That's this Psalm 110. And everybody understood it to be this. The coming Messiah is the Son of God who rules over the entire world. And that there's no other way to understand this other than when Paul said Jesus is Christ or the Messiah, the anointed one. By God, he meant he's the ruler, Lord, and king over all. That's why the Jewish people were accusing Paul and his people of exactly this. These guys are spreading a rumor that the Jesus of Nazareth is the king over Caesar. Isn't it really odd? You know, these Jewish people didn't like Caesar anyway. But to, uh, to go against Paul and his people... They are now supporting Caesar. Hey, Jesus is not our king. He's nothing. 
you know, he, he, he's just a liar. But, you know, we kind of, you know, support Caesar because just to, to refute my, our enemies, you know, my, your enemy, my enemy, your enemy become my, my friends, whatever, like that. So that's what's going on here. So, so this fact that, you know, when Christ, when we say Jesus is the Christ or Messiah, that he's the king, must cause us to rethink the way we share the gospel. I am not trying to say that we should not talk about the benefits of salvation, such as the forgiveness of sins, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and going to heaven. I'm not discouraging you to say those things. I say those things. But what I'm saying is as a matter of emphasis, you know, when we say, you know, Christ is the Son of God, or Christ is the Messiah, sorry, Jesus is the Messiah, or Christ, we have to explain to people this. It's not just an honorary, honorific Lord, Lord, but he's the Lord over the entire universe. So what I'm telling you is this. If you don't believe and obey him today, the only thing that you will receive from him is judgment. You have to embrace him as your Lord, who is the Lord of the entire universe. And of course, Jesus is agreeing with what we are talking about tonight. You know, Matthew 20 and 18, Jesus said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And after he said it, what did he give to his disciples? The Great Commission. The reason why, why I'm emphasizing what I'm emphasizing tonight is this. When Christ commissioned his disciples to spread the gospel, he made sure these people understood. The authority that commissioned them is not just an authority of a king of Israel alone, but he's the king of the entire universe so everyone who listens to this gospel must submit themselves at the feet of this person who is commissioning them into the entire world. So I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, with this. Don't feel timid when you share the gospel. Why? Because you're not doing it out of your authority. Or even not the, out of the authority of our pastor, Matt, here. Or even not even from the local church. But you are doing it under the authority of the Lord, King, and ruler of the entire universe. And then don't feel bad about people's responses. What he commands is not that we have to convince people to believe the gospel. No, no. We, we can try to convince them, but the result is not belonging to us. It belongs to the Holy Spirit as well. So the Lord Jesus is commanding us with this authority that we have to proclaim the gospel. And the center of the gospel message is the rulership of King Jesus. And I want to make sure that we all understand it and do it. In our lives. So first, like I said, you know, we have to rethink about the way we live. Let's not live as if we have all the rights over our lives. Why? Because we have laid down our all rights. You know, we sing saying about you know casting crowns at the feet of Jesus. 
You know, we have to cast our rights, all rights of our lives, at His feet, as His subjects. At the same time, when we share the gospel, let's remember that we are not timidly sharing people. And hey, would you like to go to heaven? Would you like to be forgiven of your sins? No, that's not the way we the gospel emphasizes the message of the gospel. The Bible emphasizes the message of the gospel. Rather, we have to proclaim, Jesus rules. You must listen to me because it's not my word, but the word of the sovereign of the universe. You have to listen. If you don't, you have to believe him or, or you will be damned forever. And I'm telling you this because I love you. And you have to obey, believe and obey this king. And that's the way and how we, sh- we should share the gospel with people. I hope it is helpful to you. Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you so much for your love to us. Thank you so much for the gospel that your son, the son from Psalm 2, your son, Psalm, Psalm, uh, the, your son who is from Psalm 110, who rules over the world, that that is the core content of the gospel. And Lord, it, it has thousands of theological implications. Lord, when we know that the one we serve and the one who, one who loves us is the Lord of the universe, why should we fear anything? And sometimes, Lord, yet we fear many things. So help us to have faith and have an increased faith in this message that Christ rules over the world. And at the same time, help us to examine our lives, the lifestyle that we have. Help us not to live our lives as if we have all the rights over our lives, but help us to live as if Christ has all the rights over our lives. And lastly, Lord, please encourage us, give us courage that we would not be timid in the way we share the gospel with the people, but help us to be focused on this truth, that we are doing it under the authority of the sovereign of the entire universe. So help us to courageously proclaim the truth that Jesus rules and anyone believes and submit himself to him will be saved. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.